You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Bill Ellis. If you're a guest, I want to welcome you. Thank you for coming to worship with us today. And we have been talking about running this journey, finishing the race, the home stretch, as we, uh, as we take a run through the, uh, the, the letter to the Hebrews. And uh, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn there to Hebrews chapter 6 today. You can follow along in the app if you have the Riverside app, the live event. You can see the notes that we have there for you. So uh, thank you for doing all of that. How's your summer going? You having a good summer? Yeah, it's going quickly. It's half over, over half over. So uh, if you haven't gotten away and done anything fun yet, time's running out. Get out and do it while you can and enjoy it before the school year starts up again and everybody gets back in their routines. You know, summers are times to do things that you don't normally do, right? They're times where you, you, you stretch out in new ways, especially when you're growing up. When you're growing up, and we would go on family vacations, and it seems like when you go with your family on vacation and you're a little kid, it's when you, 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 know, you have these new adventures. And one of the uh, greatest adventures, I think, that a child has in their growing up years is learning how to swim, right? I mean, everybody should know, everybody should learn how to swim, and learning how to swim and get in water over your head is a bit of a treacherous thing, right? When you're, you know, this high and, and jumping in, it's, it's a scary thing. How many of you remember learning to swim? You remember that? One of my, one of my favorite memories is uh, traveling with family on vacation. We used to do a lot of driving vacations and camping, and every once in a blue moon, we would have the luxury of staying in a motel. And it was a really cool motel if it had a pool, right? And, uh, you know, and if it had a pool with a diving board, it was, they don't even have those anymore because of insurance reasons. But back in the olden days, when it's a miracle that any of us are alive to talk about it, <laughs> they had diving boards at, at motels, and uh, that's where you would learn to uh, do things that you normally couldn't do. And... Um, Nothing like that first time when you jump off the side of the pool or you jump off the low dive, right? How scary is that? You're standing on the edge and you, you, you think, I'm going to drown. But I had a big brother and a big sister, so my goal in life was always to do what they could do. So, uh, you know, it was like, if my brother can do this, by golly, I can do it. And, you know, so I wanted to do it. I knew that I really would be cool if I could do it, but I was scared to death to do it, right? Do you remember that feeling? You want to, you really, you really wish you could, and then usually what happens is dad gets in the pool, right? Dad stands in the water, and it's above your head, but it's not above his head because he's a giant, and so, you know, compared to you, so he's standing in the pool. The water might be five feet deep, four feet deep, and, and, and dad's standing there, and he's like, you can do it. I know you can do it. Jump in. Don't worry. You're not going to drown. You can do it. I know you can do it. Just take the leap. Just jump in. I'll catch you. I'll be here for you. Your gut, you know, how many times does dad or mom have to urge you to be able to take that initial leap in the pool? And then finally... Finally, you take the leap. Let's see the picture. That's not me, but imagine. 
How many of you remember that in your life? You remember that moment when you took that initial leap into the deep end and dad was there to catch you. Those are breakthrough moments. And usually before you take the leap, somebody, and my dad is probably the one who would say, all right, Billy, it's time to put on your big boy pants. You know? You know that saying? It's time to, time to put on your big boy pants. Time to get up and do something that you haven't done before. And, and all of us have those moments in life, and they come probably pretty regularly where we have to strap on our big girl pants or our big boy pants, right? Hopefully if you're a guy, it's big boy pants and vice versa. But you've got to put on your big girl pants to be able to do something that you would not have done before, and it's the first time you do something like that. I think everybody has to strap on their big girl, big boy pants when you get on the school bus for the first time, right? That's a scary moment. Maybe when you get up on that two-wheeler for the first time and, and whoever's helping you lets go and you're pedaling on your own, that's a big boy pants moment. Or when you, when you move to a new school and you have to, you're the outsider and you're coming in to all the insiders and you feel like everybody's staring at you and you've got to put your big girl pants or your big boy pants on. Maybe it's when you graduate from school and now it's time to really start getting the real job, start paying your own ways, start moving into adulthood. And we all have to do that. We, we, we have those moments. We have those moments. When you become a parent, man, if there's ever a time to put your big girl, big boy pants on, it's when you're responsible for a little one who's going to be jumping into your arms in just a few years. So, so the last time, I wonder how many of you can think of the last time that you had to, figuratively speaking, strap on your big boy pants, your big girl pants. Can you remember that moment? Let me see hands. How many of you can remember? Tell you what, getting up every Sunday morning, I got to put my big boy pants on and speaking in front of people and, uh, and doing that. But the first time I had to do this when I was in college and I was speaking to the whole school in a, uh, a, a chapel at college. You, you know where that was, Ricky. You went there too. And, uh, and, and, and your senior sermon and you got to preach to your faculty and all the students and you just know you're going to make a fool out of yourself, but you do it anyhow, and you do make a fool out of yourself. And that's the first lesson in life. Sometimes you've got to laugh at yourself. So when we were parenting our girls, and, um, you know, usually, usually you have two parents, and they, they sort of play off each other. And one parent, when the kids are growing up, I know with Teresa and I, when our girls were little, um, one parent's the prodder, and the other is the protector, Right? One is always saying, come on, you can do it. And they're pushing them to do things that they've never done. And the other one's kind of holding them back, saying, no, no, don't do it, don't do it. Well, I, when the kids, when the girls were little, I was the prodder. I was always the one saying, come on, you've got to be a wild one. You've got to join the club. We had a wild ones club. Anytime I wanted them to do something, I would apply that peer pressure on them. Say, come on, you've got to get in the waves, you know. Let the waves get over your head. Come on, you can get out and do this. Be a wild one. And so I was always part of them, and Teresa was always standing there, you know, waiting to call the lifeguard to get them to pull us out. And, um, but it was funny, those roles reversed. When they became adolescents and teenagers, I became the one, no, no, you can't go out, no, no. <laughs> and, uh, and the roles reversed at that age. Well, in this chapter, in Hebrews chapter 6, we find the writer to the Hebrews prodding the people to put their big boy, big girl pants on. It's time to grow up. It's time to be mature. It's time to, time to move forward in your faith. So if you have your Bible, turn there. If you haven't done that yet, it's, uh, it's chapter 6, verse 1. And he says to them, 
<clears throat> so let's stop going over the basic teachings. I think the NIV says the elementary teachings. It's, it's time, to, time to move on about those teachings about Christ and go, keep going over and over again. Let's go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Let's grow up. Let's put on our big boy pants. Let's keep moving forward. Now, if you recall last week, the end of chapter 5, this is really a continuation of that passage. The end of chapter 5, he says, you know, you've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you the basic teachings about God's Word. He said, you're like babies. You need milk and can't eat solid food. He said, for somebody who lives on milk and still an infant doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. And then he goes on and he says what we just read. So stop going over the basic teachings, grow up, move on, keep moving forward. Now, why would he say this? Well, first of all, he's writing to Jewish believers in Jesus. Now, you know, we, we think about Christianity and Judaism, and, and you know, from 2,000 years of history, we see a big division between the two. But back then, Christianity was a part of Judaism. Christ was Jewish. All the first disciples were followers of Christ. It was a Jewish movement. And so these are Jewish people now who are coming to faith in the resurrected Christ and having to realize that this Jesus was the promised Messiah. And for them to accept that truth, it meant leaving behind the constant looking forward to the Messiah and beginning to live in the reality of the Messiah. And instead of something that they're waiting for, it's now something, a reality, something that they've experienced because Christ has risen from the dead. He's alive. He is real. Now he lives in our hearts. You have the promise of resurrection. Now you don't have to fear this and you can move forward in your life and not constantly be waiting for the Savior to come and save you. He has saved you. Now let's act like saved people. So that's sort of the thrust of what he is saying here. He goes on, he said, you know, we've talked about the fact, he, this, whole, this whole letter is about how Jesus is superior. He's the best. So if you accept the best, if you come to realize that Jesus is the best, why settle for anything less? Why go back to just, you know, remembering what Moses did? We have somebody even better than Moses. Why just thinking about our past history? Let's talk about what's, what God's doing here and now. It would be like an infant who has teeth, but they refuse to chew. They refuse to be weaned. They refuse to eat the solid food. That's what he says here. Those of you that have Christ, you got the teeth. Let's bite down. Let's chill in. Let's get into the meat. Let's move forward with our lives and with our faith. Let's just stop going over and over the same things. So, so the time when an infant is weaned is about the time that it's learning to walk, right? And so when it's being weaned, it's learning to walk, it, it shows that now they are starting to get the meat, the protein, and the muscle to move out on their own. They're toddlers. How tragic it is if a child gets to that stage and they can't move on. They can't walk. And, and, and that, that, that happens, but that's the aberration. I mean, that's a tragedy when that happens. But when we see that with people who have the ability, they have the means, they have the maturity, they have the motor skills, they have the brains to do it, and they refuse to do it, that's more than tragedy. That's pitiful. That's pitiful. So he goes on, and he talks about what are these elementary teachings. He says in verse, uh, going on here, 
He says, we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms or the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward. It's all about moving forward to further understanding. But let's just stop for a second and review these fundamental teachings. He says six things here. He talks about repentance. The first word of Jesus' message when he was baptized and, and uh, was sent after, yeah, he was, he was baptized and started to preach, went into the wilderness, and then he came back, and his first message, the first words of Jesus' sermon to the people was, repent. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's time to turn around. Repentance simply means turning around from your former way of life, turning away from sin. Repentance is not simply feeling bad. Repentance isn't just feeling guilt. Repentance is feeling bad and guilty enough that you look for a way to turn around from the destructive behavior that caused you to feel guilty and feel bad in the first place. Christianity isn't just a band-aid to put over our, our wounds from the sin in our life. It is, it is the healing balm to heal us and cure and turn us around from that. So many people think, well, I went forward and I prayed and I told God I'm sorry, and that's what repentance is. No, no, that's saying I'm sorry. If your kid went out and broke the rules of the house and they came back and they said they're sorry and you forgive them and they go back the next night and do the same thing and the same thing and the same thing, are they really sorry? Have they really turned away from their behavior? And yet, how many of us are like that as Christians? We feel sorry for the sin in our life, but we keep doing it over and over and over, and we think that we've repented. No, we haven't. That's the very starting point. The basic point is turning away from your sin. And then he said the second thing was faith in God. He said... He said, we, we need to turn to, to faith in God. Uh, so if, if repentance is, is, I'm going this way, and my life is headed down toward destruction, I'm doing self, self-centered, self-absorbed, self-destructive, people-hurting behavior because I'm so full of myself, living for the moment and for the pleasure, and I'm going that way, and I know I reach a point where this is not working for me, I know this is wrong, and I come to God and say, God, I am sorry Yes, God, I shouldn't do this. God, I want to turn around. God, I repent. And we turn around this way. This is what faith in God is. Faith in God is turning the other way and walking in that direction. So repentance is turning away from sin. Faith in God is turning toward God. And then he talks about baptisms and laying on of hands. So the first two are about our relationship with God. The second two are about our relationship with the body of believers. Baptisms, Jewish baptisms were all about, yeah, being washed away from sin and being, being forgiven from the past. But in a very great way, they were initiation rites into the faith. They were, they were I, am now a, I am now one of you. I am part, I am now Jewish, so I convert to Judaism. Baptism was a part of that conversion. We do baptism in a similar way. It's now I'm saying, I am now a member of the body of Christ. Not just this body, but the body of Christ. The the larger body of Christ, I've turned to Christ. So it's about belonging, 
and then the laying on of hands has to do with, you know, when people pray for somebody for healing and they, they lay hands on them, or laying on of hands has to do with praying for uh, uh, the, the empowerment by the Holy Spirit, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment for ministry, the anointing of God to uh, initiate somebody into ministry. So all of these have to do with <clears throat> getting started in ministry. And then he talks about the resurrection of the dead. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And eternal judgment. People are destined to die once, it says, and then to face judgment. And Christ was offered as a sacrifice to take away our sins and uh, bring us to salvation for those who believe. So, in other words, he's saying, now we understand that there is an end times. We understand that we're all going to face the judgment seat of Christ. We all understand that Christ rose from the dead and we too are going to rise from the dead. So, so, in other words, these are profound, important Baseline teachings. Thank you, Vince. And, 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 and you cannot minimize the importance of these teachings. But let me tell you this. These are the starting points. These are not the finish lines. These are the starting blocks to the journey of race. And for many people, they just come around and they think that if I get saved, then I've gone across the finish line. If I've given my life to Jesus, then okay, I know I'm going to go to heaven when I die. I prayed that prayer. I've been there, done that. And they go back to living the way they normally would live if they didn't even have Christ in their life. Right? So... It's not just about getting saved. And he's talking about these people who, okay, now you believe in Jesus. That's great. That's wonderful. I'm glad for you. But that's just the starting point. Imagine a child that learns its ABCs at home or in preschool or maybe in kindergarten. Okay, we get those. By the end of kindergarten nowadays, you should be reading. But let's just say that then the good old days, we learned our ABCs in kindergarten, and we'd spend a half a day trying to have fun and not get in trouble, but we would, we would walk out of there knowing our numbers to 10. We could count. We could say, imagine you go to first grade. You graduate from, from, first, from kindergarten. You go to first grade. You know, we're going to learn this year, everybody. We're going to learn the ABCs. We're going to learn to count to 10. Woohoo! And you go to school every day in your first grade, and you learn your ABCs. And you learn to count to 10. Okay, we graduated first grade. Let's go to second grade. And you do the same thing and the same thing and the same thing. And you get older, but you don't get any farther in your knowledge. Let me just say this. If you don't know your ABCs and your numbers, you're not going to learn anything else. That's important, right? Yeah, I've got to start there. You've got to learn to read before you can learn anything else. So that's foundational. It's unfortunate that some kids don't get that base, that foundation right. But, but the point is, to these believers, he's saying, okay, you got the foundation down. you got the ABCs. You understand the basics of the faith. And that's the starting point. And so imagine Christians, they come to church every week, and it's the same old, same old, same old, same old. Let's just come to church. Let's just sing songs. Let's just learn about getting saved. Let's just come and say we're sorry. Let's just go out and do the same thing and come back and do the same thing. And how ridiculous it is if we think of somebody in kindergarten learning the same thing, even as they grow older and they're graduating from high school, and all they know is their ABCs and they're counting to 10. And how many Christians 
They've been coming to church for years. Their life isn't any different. They've not made a difference for Jesus in any part of their life. They're continuing to, to, to repeat the same old, same old sins in their life. They're continuing to be, you know, full of anger and bitterness. They're continuing to be full of selfishness and sinfulness. They continue to do all the same old things. But we're going to go to church and learn that we can be forgiven. We're going to go to church and learn that, you know, the people around us are nice people and they're good people and they're going to be there to help us if something goes bad in our lives. And, you know, we know that when we die someday we're going to be in heaven. But we're going to go out and continue to do the same old, same old. How ridiculous is that? That's what he's saying to them. He's saying to them, folks, it's time to put on your big boy pants, to put on your big girl pants, and move forward. Move forward. That's the point. That's the point he's making. And so you're saved, meaning, and I, you know, I always think that that word saved, when I was first asked that by my girlfriend, are you saved? I didn't have a clue what she meant. Are you are you, have you given your life to Christ? Are you following Christ? Is Christ the leader of your life? Is he your forgiver? Are you moving forward with Jesus guiding the way for you? That's, that's what that means. But, 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 but we're not just saved to get to heaven when we die. We're saved for here and now. And we're saved for a reason. And we're saved because the world is living in a Christ-depraved world. And we need to be the reflectors. We need to be the presenters. We need to be the hands and feet of Christ in a Christ-depraved world right now. And we can't do that if all we are doing is learning about being saved and knowing that we're going to go to heaven when we die. Right? It's not about the Christian huddle. We come here to huddle, but we come here to come up with game plans. We come up here to pick a strategy for how we're going to face tomorrow, how we're going to live the next day, how we're going to deal with that person that's given us a hard time, that's hard to love. How are we going to deal with the tragedies that come in our lives in a way that's going to reflect the grace and goodness of God? How are we going to walk beside somebody else that's going through a tough time? How are we going to parent our kids? How are we going to be a good followers? So that's what we come together and huddle for. It's not just to learn again that we're saved and that we're forgiven. It's to learn that there's a reason to move forward in life. We're saved for a reason, and that reason is to be the, uh, the, 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 the reflectors of Jesus, to reflect Christ and to rep- represent Christ to the world around us. So turning away from sin and turning to God, finding your place in the community of faith, Having the assurance that eternity is there for you is not the finish line. It's the starting line. It's the starting point in life. And so he's saying it's time to get going in this race. Time to get moving forward. So you need to put your big boy pants on, move forward to maturity. And then he goes on, he says, it's time to put on your big boy pants, your big girl pants, and move past that fear of failure. The thing that keeps people standing on the edge of the pool is I'm afraid I'm going to drown. I'm afraid I'm not going to survive. I'm afraid I can't do it. So we don't make the leap. And he goes on, and in sort of a strange way, he is encouraging them, but it sounds pretty scary. So let me read it, and then I'll explain it to you. He goes on to assure them that failure isn't going to happen to them by way of warning them and encouraging them. goes on, verse 4, he says, For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and who then turn away from God. 
It is impossible to bring back such people back to repentance by rejecting the Son of God. They themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public disgrace. So, you read that, you think, oh my gosh, if I make a mistake, if I turn my back on God, I'm never going to be able to be forgiven. Is that what that's saying? You, you look at it, and it might, it might seem to be that's what it's saying. Well, there's several ways to read this, and if you read the commentaries, you read others who read about this, and you read this compared to other scriptures, three possibilities here. One is a person who was a true believer and turned their back completely from Christ and never came back to Christ. That's one way to read it, I think, at face value. That's what you might read. Another is it's a person who thought that they were following Jesus, who never really were. They, they, they said that they were Christians, but they really weren't, and they fell away from Christ, or they never really were Christians. So what you believe about you know, eternal salvation and eternal security sort of determines what you think about that passage. But I, it was interesting, as I was doing some research, more often than not, readers were saying, he is painting a straw man here. And, and he's making this hypothetical warning to immature believers to just say to them, you know what, imagine somebody who has tasted of Christ. Imagine basically somebody that's jumped into the deep end of the pool and they survived and they learned to swim and they had a blast and they were following Christ, they loved it, they were in with it. Imagine that person never wanting to jump back in the pool again. Imagine that they would never want to do something after they've already been able to do it and they've already experienced it, and they never jump back in again. It's almost as if he's saying, how ridiculous would that be? Once you've tasted of the good things of God, once you've experienced the greatness of God, once you've given your life to Christ, who would ever want to turn back? That's, that's what he's saying here. And so, and so I think it, it sounds like a warning, but he goes on, and I think this is why we can read it that way. Because he goes on and he says, dear friends, even though we're talking this way, he said, we really don't believe that that applies to you. Because we are confident that you were meant for better things. Things that come with salvation. In other words, you've been there. You've jumped and you've done it. You were meant for this. You were meant for this race. You were meant for this journey. Once you get on this journey, you don't ever want to stray. You don't ever want to go away. Moving on down there, he says, For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers, as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts, in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then, he says, you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you'll follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. Because of their faith and endurance. He's saying, this is not applying to you. This, this warning, he said, I know that if you put your big boy pants on, you put your big girl pants on, and you move forward, you're not going to fail because your heavenly parent is there 
in the water. He's waiting for you. And it's impossible. Once you've taken the leap, you realize you're secure. You've learned to swim. You can't go back. You jumped in. You don't want to go back. So what you want to do, that first time I jumped in the pool and I survived, I jumped in again and Dad was there to catch me. I jumped in again and Dad let me learn to swim a little bit. And then I jumped in and Dad wasn't there anymore. And then I went to the little diving board. Woohoo! That was really cool. So we understand that. You do that. You know how that works in your life. God says, I see what you've done for others. And that's where moving on to maturity, where the rubber meets the road there. It's not about you. You see, in, in the kindergarten levels of faith, it's all about me. Am I saved? Am I in? Am I, am I a Christian? Am I forgiven? Am I a part of the church? Do they love me? Will they accept me? Will they help me when I'm in trouble? Am I going to go to heaven when I die? Am I secure? See, the elementary levels of the faith, it's all about me. But then when he goes on moving to maturity, he says, God's not going to forget what you've done for others. God's not going to forget how you've taken care. And then it becomes all about how God has done this for you so that you can be God's blessing for others. Fulfilling Abraham's commission, I will bless you and you will be a blessing to the nations. And so moving on is about how can I run this race in such a way that my life matters, not just for me to get to heaven, my life matters for other people so that they will know by my life what God is like and they will be blessed because of me in their life. So, so that's, it's time to put your big boy pants on. It's time to grow up, move past your fear of failure. They were afraid that they were going to fail. And he says, it's not going to happen to you. You're going to make it. You're going to be fine. So how do we gain the courage to do it? Well, the third thought here is this. It's time to put your big boy girl pants on, your big boy pants on, and move forward in faith and hope. And then he uses Abraham as an example. He says, for example, there was God's promise to Abraham. And since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath by his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently and received what God had promised. In other words, he said, when God makes a promise like he did to Abraham, God's going to keep his promise. And he goes on and he says, now when the people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. Well, God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. And so he says, God made a promise. He's going to keep it. God made an oath and it is binding. God is going to keep his word. So God has given his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into the inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now next week we're going to deal with that last line there because the next chapter goes into what that means. But I want to, I want to anchor on the anchor right there. I want, to just, I want to finish by talking about we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. The oath, 
this hope in the oath and the promises of God that God cannot lie. God's going to keep his word. You take that leap, God's going to be there. He's going to catch you. He's going to catch you. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. You get out of the starting blocks. You get beyond the ABCs of the faith. You start living for others and living for God in such a way where you've got to run away from your sin and live a holy life, but you're afraid to do that because, oh, man, I need that sin in my life. I need that pleasure to get me through the day. I need that to help me feel like I'm a man. I need that to help me feel like I'm respected as a woman. I need that. Whatever that vice is, whatever that that is, that crutch. People say, well, Jesus is a crutch. No, your sin is a crutch. Your sin is a crutch. Jesus frees you from your sin, and that's a scary thing to walk away from your sin. That's scarier than going into sin is following Jesus. And he says, if you take the leap, if you take the jump, if you start following me, yeah, you're gonna, it's scary, but I promise you I'm going to be there. I am sure that I'm going to be the anchor for you, and you're going to make it down that road. And there are so many people that are just afraid to jump into the deep end of the pool with Jesus because they're afraid of what they're leaving behind to do that. They can't leave behind those things that tell them, you're going to fail if you do that. Nobody's going to like you if you become a Christian. You're going to lose all your friends. You're you're not going to be able to get ahead in business if you start to behave ethically in business. You're not going to be able to have as much money because money is your security. And if you give up money because you're not able to cheat anymore on your business and cook the books and do whatever you do to get ahead because everybody does it, then it's scary. I don't know if I want to do that. I'll just come and pray on Sundays and say I'm sorry and do it again next week. I'll just stay in kindergarten in my faith and hope that when I die I'm going to go to heaven. Do you see what I'm talking about? She says, you were meant for better things. I guarantee you, if you do this, if you go down the road, if you start running this race, I promise you, I'm not going to let you fail. I'm going to be that hope. I'm going to be that anchor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You run down that race, you are going to trip, you are going to fall. Yes, but... There's an anchor there that's going to hold you close. You're going you're gonna to stray, but that anchor is not going to let you get too far. It's going to pull you back. Yes, sometimes it's like a leash, and it jerks you back if you start going far too fast. But, but that's what Jesus is. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls. We know that if we run after Jesus, if we go down this home stretch, even if we trip and fall, even if... Even if somebody comes from the sidelines and knocks us for a loop or life just knocks us off the path, we have an anchor for our hearts, for our souls. We have Jesus to be there for us. So what are you afraid of leaving behind? What's holding you to the side of the pool? What's keeping you from taking the leap? What has you paralyzed uh, and then we went down to Corrigan Drive, South Park Pool. I used to live over in South Park. We'd live there in the summertime. But that first time, you climb up the high dive. And it was, I think, 12, 13 feet high. And uh, you climb up the ladder, and there's a whole line of people behind you. So once you start climbing, you can't go back. And, you know, 
your little, you know, 10, 11, 9, 10, whatever, how old I was, I don't remember. But I just remember my brother was behind me, making fun of me. So I was a skinny little rail. I remember saying, you aren't even 100 pounds soaking wet. So, you know, I'm climbing up this, and I get on the edge, and I look back, and there's no going back. And there's no daddy down in the deep end. And it's like, oh. oh. I don't know how long I stood there. But it was time to put on the big boy pants. And you take the leap. And you do a belly flop and you survive. And you take another leap and you do a little better the next time. And before the end of the summer, you're even taking a dive. I just wonder what's in your life. What part of your life do you need to strap on the big boy pants, the big girl pants? Grow up. Where do you need to move forward in your faith? That's really what, what the writer of the Hebrews is saying. Where do you need to move forward? And what's keeping you afraid to do that? It's time. Would you bow your heads with me? If you were sure that if you took that leap that you would not fail, what would you attempt for God? If there was a guarantee that you wouldn't fail, what would you attempt for God? It might be letting go of something that you know that's not good for you. It might be branching out and doing something that You've been too lazy to do. You've come up with all the excuses. Maybe it's as simple as, you know, I said I was going to volunteer to help do the renovations, and uh, the time comes, and I'd rather sit home and watch the game on television. And maybe it's just get up, get out, do it. Maybe it's more serious than that. Maybe it's, maybe it's somebody that you need to forgive that hurt you. Maybe it's dealing with that awful pain in your heart of the loss that you're feeling. That's not minimizing any of that at all. But I want you to know Jesus is the anchor for your souls to put one step in front of the other and move down this pathway. One step in front of the other. Jesus is going to be with you the whole way. He's already paid the price for your eternity. He's already gone down the road before you. He's already been there and done that. And he's going to be with you, help you the whole way. What's the next thing in your life that you need to strap on your big boy pants and do? But if you do it, Jesus is saying, you're going to make it. I know you will. I believe in you. I believe in you. I'm here for you. You can do it. You can do it. I want to pray. But if you're here this morning and you're saying, Pastor, I just feel like that message hit me where I needed to be hit and uh, landed with me, and I know that I need to, to take some steps forward in my faith, in my walk with Christ. Would you just raise your hand up wherever you are? Raise your hand up saying, Jesus, I know there's something I need to do, and I need to do it. Amen. 
Amen, amen. Jesus, you see our hands. God, you know. You know where we need to have the courage to step forward and be people of faith and hope. That's going to help us. That's going to get us down the road. Faith in you and hope in you. God, for somebody here that's hurting in a deep way, you know. You know exactly why they're hurting. And God, I, I just pray that you'll help them and comfort them and encourage them. Be there for them when they feel like nobody else is there. You were hurt. You were abandoned. You were rejected. Your life was taken. You suffered what we suffered. You can sympathize with our weaknesses and our pain. You're there, God. Help us to have a deeper faith in you that helps us to walk forward and make our life count for others. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.